0: Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby Say Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the cannel, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I moved to Pecos, Texas for just a little while, my eighth grade year of high school. And I promise you, moving to a new town when you're in the eighth grade, a place that you don't know anybody, and you start school, whew, it, it it can be rough, and um, I kind of, you yeah, know, I'd, I'd grown up in the same place my whole life. I'd never had to make friends. I knew all my friends, you know. I mean, they were just your friends from day one, and, and you know, making friends in kindergarten is a lot easier than making friends whenever you're an you're a eighth-grade skinny cowboy with, with a bad complexion in a new town. And I remember, you know, my last name is Weatherby. There was a fella by the name of, uh, well, his name was Anthony, and his last name was right there (laughs) to protect him a little bit. His last name was right there. Our lockers were next to each other. And, you know, I I was kind of a shy kid. My parents were going through a divorce. It was a hard time in my life. I was trying to be a man. Wasn't quite a man. But, you know, whenever your fourth-grade little brother looks up at you and says, Kevin, what's going on? You know, I tried to be strong for him, and so there's a lot of emotions in an in a eighth grade boy's life. Not, you know, you're at the penultimate of uh, of middle school and fixing to go into high school, and and anyway, it's just a rough time. And I remember this guy that had his locker right by mine. This dude was uh, he was seven foot sixteen, two and a half tons, and like. 0.1% body fat. This was the biggest guy that I had ever seen. I'm pretty sure he was around 28 in the eighth grade. You probably had one of these guys like him and everything. Well, you know, I had athletics and, and he had PE. And so right before our eighth period, in seventh period, he had PE. And I remember I was sitting there and I'd, I'd walk to my locker and I'd put my books in and I had a black shirt on that day. And I remember that for a reason. Anthony had just come in from P.E., he had sweat on him and everything like that, and I don't remember exactly what they had been doing because I wasn't in there, but, you know, he, he was he was dang sure pretty pretty wore out and hot and sweaty and didn't smell that great. Of course, I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to say nothing about that, but anyway, I'm trying to get my books out. The day's nearly over. It's been, you know, it's, it's re, I mean, it's probably, I think I'd been there about a month or something like that, and uh, my mom's family was from Pecos, and so I did know a few guys, but it was, it's just more like first name basis you know hey how are you not really friends or anything like that and so anyway I'm putting my books in my locker and I'm trying to get some stuff out and Anthony comes up and he gets his stuff out and he shuts the door and he turns and he looks at me and of course you know I'm like you know what, what's this guy want and he sets his books up on top of the locker and he claps his hands And he goes like this. And you know, after you've been working out and playing hard and everything, you get all those little dingleberry deals all over your hands. He did that, and then he turned to me, and he went and wiped it down the front of my black shirt. And I looked down like that. It was nasty. I looked up at him. I dropped my books, and I swung as hard as I could. And I hit him as hard as I could, and he giggled. (laughs) And I peed. He grabbed me by my right arm and he stuck it behind my back. And he says to me real softly in my ear, he says, I'm going to break your arm slow. Be sure to listen for the bone to snap. And he started twisting it and he said, go ahead, cry out. And I will be danged if I was going to make a noise. There has been very few times in my life that I felt that much pain. I literally was waiting on the bone to snap. He had it wrenched around, and there was not much that I could do. And all of a sudden, I heard my English, no, actually math teacher, Miss Taylor, her class was close by there. And I heard her say, Anthony, you let him go. And I felt, I I thought for sure then he was just going to go ahead and, and snap it. And I was sitting there, and I was like, and he let go. And she goes, you come with me. She goes, Kevin, you get to class. Now, I'm the only one that had thrown a punch. Don't get me wrong. I got sent to the class. He got sent to the principal's office and found out right after school two things. Number one, Anthony had been expelled for three days. And number two, he had told three people to be watching whenever I got back or whenever he got back. And so for three days, my old stomach was in a knot because I weighed like, you know, probably 190, 195 about that time. I was only a blue belt in jujitsu, whatever that is. No, I mean, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get killed. I'm going to get killed when Anthony gets back and everything like that. And so I was the talk of the school because Anthony was a bully, okay? He was a bully. Everybody knew it. And I had, <laughs> I had stood up to the bully. So most of the people were coming up. A few of them were like, man, that was awesome what you did, Anthony. I heard about that. That was good you're going to die, but that, it was still awesome. I'm like, oh my gosh, and everything, so anyway, three days goes by, and when Anthony gets back to school, I carried every book I had, because I didn't go to my locker. I got like three backpacks on, because I am not going by that locker and everything, and so I didn't see him all morning, and uh, anyway, at lunchtime, I seen him, and you want to make a young man's heart flutter is when the seven foot 42 guy that weighs 297,000 pounds with arms about this big around, whenever you look around the, the lunchroom and you catch his eye and he goes, And after you got through eating, you went outside. So I went outside and all of my new friends were around me and they're like, Dude, Anthony's going to kill you he's he just gonna mop the it'd be best man if you just curled up my fetal position and, and and inked on him like an octopus a few of you might have got that one and i'm like well you know it, it is what it is you know I, I was trying to be a little bit tough i didn't make no bows like when well, he comes out here i'm gonna yeah you know, nothing like that like i'm gonna let him hit me <laughs> kind of like mike tyson everybody's got a plan till they get hit i can let him hit me i would go fake being out if he didn't knock me out And sure enough, man, I ate real fast, and I got outside. There wasn't no trees in Pecos, Texas to climb or nothing like that. And I'm standing out there, and there's like three or four guys around me. One of them says, here he comes. And I look over, and here's this big old guy. He's walking, making a beeline for me. And I kind of put my head down like this, and I was like, man, what am I going to do? And I looked up, and they were gone. I am not kidding you. They left. It's kind of like, you know, those old gunfights where the, the outlaw calls out the guy, and he's like, I'm going to shoot you, and all of his friends get out of the way so they don't get hit. That's what these friends did. They were like, uh-uh, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. And so you want to talk about a lonely feeling? That was one of the loneliest feelings I've ever had. My parents were going through a divorce. I was in a new school. I was thinking, get killed. Pretty lonely. But what happened next is not that important, so we'll just go on with the sermon. I might finish it at the end. There might be a point to it. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is writing to a young protege named Timothy. Um, during my research, Timothy is probably between 30 and 35 years old. And, and there's a real famous verse that Paul says, don't, look, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Um, he's talking to Timothy whenever he says that. But Timothy is is going. He's not going to go be a pastor, but he's going to be kind of like a uh, somebody that goes around to the churches that Paul has started. He's going to go around and kind of help them get stuff straightened out. Kind of an overseer, a little bit, not a boss, just somebody that is that is good friends with Paul. Paul in this, and it's a first and second Timothy are letters saying, "Hey man, this is what you need to tell them. This is what you need to watch out for." Blah 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 so we're going to start reading in first Timothy 1 verse 18 he says Timothy my son here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier now what he means by that is um, they had recognized Timothy's gifts that God had given him and whenever they went and they prayed with Timothy there was some prophecies and when it says prophecies a lot of people think of these you know biblical big biblical it just means that they said you know what we think God is going to set you aside and do great works through you okay so don't don't get all weirded out just because it says Uh, prophetic words spoken about you earlier they were just encouraging words saying man you know what God is definitely going to use you Timothy and you know be sure and, and give it all you got so anyway he says Timothy my son here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles I had given y'all homework last week. If you were here, or if you were listening on the radio, or watching at the line camps and everything, about being holy, about being dedicated and you know dedicated to God and separated from the world. That we are no longer a part of this world, and to that we must think clearly and you know be mentally and physically tough and and all of that. Well, I got about fifteen responses back. I'm still waiting on about two hundred and thirty. Um, Not really. And everybody's that I have read so far, I haven't got to read everybody's. Everybody did really good on one part one day and maybe had a little bit of struggles. And basically the whole deal was it was a fight to be holy. And it is. It's hard to live the way God wants us to. But today we're going to talk about how to fight the good fight. Paul mentions that in numerous books that he wrote or letters that he wrote to the different churches and stuff like that. And he says it here, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. And then he says, use what was said about you, that God is going to use you and all of that stuff. And then he adds two more things that we can use, not just this week coming up, but in all the days to come, where we can fight well. Guys, I I don't know how else to say it, but being a Christian is is a battle because, you know, the Bible says our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and rulers of this evil world. Man, everything that we experience every single day is a temptation, is a pressure to live like everybody else does, to look out for number one. Man, don't worry about loving your neighbor. Man, love your, love only you. You look out for number one. Don't worry about nothing. You just worry about yourself, all of that stuff. You know, it and what did I hear yesterday on the radio? It was a uh and I mentioned it to Riley. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was a commercial on the radio for something. And it was like, seriously, the ending line said something like this: You will finally live your life happy if you whatever their product was. They are trying to tell you that if you go out and buy their soda that you are going to finally be happy in life. But you know what? That stuff just, we're so accustomed to it all the time. The world is putting pressure on every believer every single day, and it's hard. It is a battle. That's why those of you that did your homework, when you finally wrote down and paid attention to trying to be holy, because that's what the Bible says, says be holy because I am holy, and those are God's words. It is a battle. How do we fight the good fight? What do we have to do? Well, in verse 19, Paul gives us two indications of how we can fight the good fight. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says, cling to your faith in Christ. Cling to your faith in Christ. What does that mean? Cling to your faith in Christ. I remember one time I've told this story before, but we've got some new people here and some other people, they can't remember anything from one day to the next. So it doesn't matter if I repeat stories. I was in Pecos and I just started a new school. No, not really. That was funny. I was, I was riding this, this bronc, and, and Ralph was with me, and we were, we were going along, and everything seemed to be going good, and, and I won't get into the whole long story. But anyway, this horse started pitching with me. And the first thing that she did when she pitched with me, I really wasn't riding like I should have, I guess, because if I was riding exactly like I should have, nothing would have happened. But what happened is she pitched me right over the saddle horn onto her neck. My feet are still in the stirrups. Except the saddle horn is right here. It's a little hard to ride like that. And it's kind of hard. I, I pulled the reins up as much as I could, and that really wasn't doing anything because that, that was just making me go forward more. And before I knew it, her ears were right here. Now, I want you to know that if I ever say anything funny about something that an individual here did, it's because I love you because I do not use things or make fun of some. And I'm not making fun of it. I thought it was funny. Ina, pay attention to what I just said. I had this horse in a German kung fu mode. What I mean by that is, I didn't know it till one day we were at Ina and Rob's house. Ina is from Germany, and she was talking about one of her kids, and they were fighting, and one of them grabbed the other one in a sweatlock. Not a headlock, a sweatlock. So I had that horse in a sweatlock, and it was still bucking. I could hear this sound coming from a horse about 14 feet away. And it was nothing but laughter because he said it was the funniest thing he'd ever seen in his life because my feet are still in the stirrups. I've got the horse in a headlock and I'm screaming. Ah, ah. And so Ralph rides up beside me on his big Andalusian and he reaches down and he grabs me by the back of the belt and he picks me up and he sets me back in the saddle and just sits there and laughs at me. He said, I'll give you one thing, cowboy. You ride better as a spider monkey than a horseman. Man, you do whatever it takes to stay on. You grab whatever it takes. He said, I didn't get close to you because I scared you You're going to grab onto me. But Paul says in verse 19 right there, he says, cling to your faith in Christ. You want to know a way to fight the good fight? You have to cling to your faith in Christ. Now, what does that mean? I mean, that that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds like, yeah, how do you do that? I don't know it sounds good, we'll just walk around saying that. Maybe that'll work. No, man, let's talk about that. How do we cling to our faith in Christ? I think one of the first ways we cling to our faith in Christ is to cling to his power, not yours. Guys, you want to talk about being tough? That is when you are able to actually say, you know what, I have no power to do this, but my God does, and I am going to rely on his strength, not mine. To do that every single day. To do that. You know what? It's. Um, I was talking to uh, Doug Hewlett on Wednesday, and he said that. When they started their Bible study. He says, you know, I'm I'm not very good with, with big words, and I'm not real good at, at, at reading stuff out loud and stuff like that. He said, so that first few times. He said, I was like really kind of struggling. He can read just fine. He just wasn't comfortable doing it in front of people because, man, I'm not even comfortable. Y'all know how I read out of the Bible. It's like, and that, there's a big word. I don't even try it and everything. But I know of a guy that because Doug wasn't that great at it, he took it upon, himself to go out and get his own Bible so that he could do that, so he didn't have to listen to Doug doing it. So what I'm saying is God used Doug's weakness to inspire somebody else. Don't let your weaknesses, just because you may not be good at something, doesn't mean that you can't use what you're not good at for God's purpose, and God will use it. We have to rely on his power, not ours. When Paul asks that a thorn of his flesh be removed, Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Why do we walk around thinking all this bad stuff about our own weaknesses when in our own weaknesses is where God is most powerful in our lives? Because if you didn't have weaknesses and you could do everything on your own, why would you need God? I hate that people use this term, God won't give you anything more than you can handle. That is not biblical whatsoever. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God will not give you anything more than you can handle. Because if you could handle everything, you wouldn't need him. God, there are things that we can't handle that happen every single day. And if you want to cling to his power, then you say, you know what, God? I ain't got no control over this. I ain't got no control of this butthead over here, what he's saying or doing or what she's doing or or what the guy driving in front of me, he can't drive at all. I ain't got no control over that, but you do. And you know what, God, I'm just going to sit back and relax and let you deal with it because you're God, I'm not. Now, it does say in the Bible that God will not allow any temptation to come upon you that he will not give you a way out of. That is not to say the same thing as God won't give you anything more than you can handle. He will, but you've got to start relying on him. Why? What's the famous verse in Philippians? I can do all things through Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. It is Christ in us that strengthens us. Cling to his power, not yours. If you want to know how to fight the good fight, Paul says in 19, cling to your faith in Christ. How do we do that? One of the ways is to cling to his power. The second thing that we can do to cling to our faith is to cling to God's promises. That Bible is filled with awesome promises. I always tell people when you read your Bible, look for three things. Look for a promise. Look for an application or look for a warning. One of those three. And when you find a promise, man, get you, a, get you like a, a certain color, a highlighter or a red pen or a you know different color, a green pen or something like that. And, and use it every time you're reading your Bible and you find a promise. Underline it so that whenever you are going back and you're reading and you're looking for the promises of God, man, anytime you find a green green mark in that Bible, man, you know it's a promise of God. Well, you can't cling to the promises of God if you don't know the promises of God. Remind him of his promises. God, you said that you would never leave me nor forsake me. As a matter of fact, how about this? When you start feeling down on yourself, when that old devil is whispering in your ear, and I mean, he's a-hitting you with that sort and stick right in the forehead, just whack, 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 telling you how bad you are. How about this one right here? Jesus says there is no condemnation, or Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning, Jesus didn't come here to tell you everything that you did wrong. He came to save you. Point blank, that's it. He even said, It's written on my arms. John three sixteen, John three seventeen, right here. For God this is Jesus talking, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is saying that. He's talking about himself in the third person. But John three seventeen. For the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. If you start, if somebody starts talking in your ear and you start feeling bad about yourself, that is the devil, that is not God. So you can call on that promise of God. There is no condemnation for those who love Jesus. You don't have to listen to that crud. Just say, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, that ain't God. I'm gonna follow God. I ain't gonna follow the whisperings of the devil telling me how bad I am. My point is, how can you cling to his power if you're trying to do everything? And how can you cling to his promises if you don't know what they are? Learn the promises of God so that you can call on those when you're struggling. I read some of you that, that, that did their homework and they're like, you know, man, I so struggled here. That's when you start calling on those promises. I'm teaching you how to fight the good fight. And quit getting your heinies kicked because we all have been there. Some of you are going through it. Learn how to fight the good fight. Cling to his power. Cling to his promises. And the third thing... Cling to his grace. And his grace. You know what? There's not a darn thing that you can do to earn salvation except except, accept it. It's a gift. And too many people are trying to accept that gift and pay it back. Well, you know, okay. Hey, I appreciate that. Here, let me give you something. God's like, no, I just want you to let me live in you. We got to learn to live in God's grace. Paul said, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works lest any man should boast. You are saved by grace there's nothing that you can do to earn it and there's nothing you've ever done that can keep you from getting it how about that right there because some people are like well i don't deserve all that no you don't but it's there for you anyway quit being a hard head and accept it paul says in verse 19 cling to your faith in christ cling to his power not yours cling to his promises and cling to his grace hold on tight cowboys and cowgirls know something about holding on tight we're talking about tying on hard and fast instead of dallying, if you know what I mean. And then the second thing Paul says, he says, keep your conscience clear. Keep your conscience clear. What does that mean? What, what, what does it mean to keep your conscience clear? If you can't say that word for those of you that might be over here, it's integrity. That's how you keep your conscience clear is through integrity. Integrity is the doubt buster of the soul. Man, our souls are filled with doubts and condemnation and stuff like that of, of everything. What, what's the difference in character and integrity? Character is what other people know about you, okay? Character is what other people know about you. Integrity is what you know about yourself. And it is your integrity that will affect your conscience. Because integrity is doing the right thing no matter who's watching. Can you do something whether anybody's going to find out about it or not? Just go out there and do what you're supposed to do. And as easy as, I mean, as hard as that is, it really is just that easy. Just do what you're supposed to do. Do the right thing every single time. Now, are you going to be able to do that? Probably not. But quit making excuses for not doing what you're supposed to do. Because many of you that follow us on Facebook probably saw me put this the other day. Did you know that making excuses is just advanced whining? Think about that. We go around making excuses all the time, but an excuse is just an adult whine. Well... You think about it. Well, that's just like somebody told me this morning. I'm going to use it as an example because it was a great example. That's just the way I was raised. That's just the way I was raised. I can't do any different. It's just advanced whining. It's whining for adults. Quit making excuses. And the reason I got told that is because I was making an excuse just this last week. Well, that's just, they're just going to have to deal with that. Quit whining. I wasn't whining. I was stating the fact. No, you weren't. You were whining. Okay, I was whining. Quit whining. Quit making excuses. Do the right thing. And I'm going to add one more little caveat. And I've used like penultimate and caveat today. That's big words. I might not have used them right. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter if I use them right. <laughs> Thank you, Rudy. Listen to this. Did you know that it is better to be kind than correct? Let that sink in for just a second. It is much better to be kind than correct. Because you know what? We can be all kinds of right, but if you're not being right in love, you're not right at all. It is better to be kind than correct. So if you want to do the right thing every single time, do things in love. Because it is more important to love than to be right. It really is as simple as that. I'm not saying that it's easy. I said it was simple. Do the right thing every time. And to do the right thing, do it in love. It is better to be kind than to be correct. Hey, do you have horses? If you do, then you need to call my friends Rod and Brenda Denning at Hitch and Post Hay. This is where I get all of my hay and Fiona loves it. Call them at 303-324-8217 and tell them that you heard about them from Save the Cowboy and they'll donate 5% of the sale to our mission to reach cowboys and cowgirls. Give Hitchin' and Post Hay a call for premium quality horse hay at 303-324-8217.